In the 2020s, a pandemic crippled the world. Some panicked, some denied it. These two guys stayed home, drank, and watched movies. These are the Jameson Tapes. Welcome to the Jameson Tapes. My name is Abysme. Hi everyone, I'm Alan. Alan, what are we doing here? Well, I've got uh, a beer and we just watched a movie. I hesitate to call it a movie and more of a um, feast for the senses, but we did watch something. Um, like, I know this is our pilot episode and we have to do our introductions, but I'm chopping at the bit to talk about this film. <laughs> so yes, this is the Jameson Tapes. Give you a little bit of background on how this happened. I'm a corn-fed Midwest boy. Bismi here is on, on the West Coast. I'm San Diego and, hipster. And basically, we, we had a meetup recently, and we watched Malignant together. <laughs> and that's when I realized that this is a guy I really like watching movies with. Absolutely. And it's also he's also a guy I really like drinking with. Hell yeah. So, yeah, we had such a good time, we figured... We'd bring the good time to you. And there's going to be a lot of preamble here. But yeah, basically, we've known each other for a while. I think we both came to movies and movie discussion probably similar ways, but at different times. But have definitely just really like... And it, Malignant wasn't even the first time that we've like watched a movie together either. And yeah. just and drank heavily and had a great time. I think the first... Not the first time, but the most notable one would be us watching that Nicolas Cage kung fu movie. That was, <laughs> that was definitely not Predator. <laughs> may have to, we may have to come back to that movie at some point. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. We're not only going to do horror movies, by the way. I think we're just going to do <laughs> yeah. movies that we enjoy or find worthy of discussion. It, it'll probably mostly be horror. Yeah. We, we watched that with the group of friends with the creative horror network and then you and i just like talked for three hours after that yes and just got persistently more wasted it was fantastic and i think slowly after that i was like hey alan i need i, I need to watch like a great like obscure movie L let me know of one and then you told me about the hitcher which yes. i think i had asked for like a b movie or something like some b movie gem and that is not a b movie in my yeah, it had admittedly been a really long time since I'd watched the the Hitcher, but I, I can I see what people would it. think it is, but it's like it, no, it, that is like a piece of art to me. And I think like after that, then we had the malignant viewing, and yeah, it just kind of you know we felt it like we should definitely do yeah. this. Mm. By the way, watch the Hitcher, everybody. It's uh, Rutger Hauer acting his ass off. Absolutely, Every, everyone only knows Rutger Hauer from Blade Runner, but this the Hitcher is definitely an undiscovered gem for most people. I think not the remake. Don't don't watch that there's a remake there's a remake oh, and no. a really bad sequel um, <laughs> jake Busey is in one of them anyway <laughs> oh man well yeah i mean i i am a um a musician and podcaster and i'm focused mostly on science fiction and horror so obviously films are a really big source of inspiration and enjoyment for me and that's definitely why I wanted to do a podcast like this. And I started on horror very, very early. I'm related to... Sorry, the cat's scratching up something. I can hear it. It's uh, adorable. I am a relative of Lon Chaney and Lon Chaney Jr. And I'm the Universal Monsters very early. I watch a lot of horror. Mm -hmm. Also a big MST3K guy. So I enjoy a terrible film yes. as, as much as the next guy. Yes. There definitely has been an explosion of rediscovering, reanalyzing, re-enjoying, quote-unquote, terrible movies, B-movies, just things seemingly forgotten to time. You know, you could probably write a series of master's theses on why that is, but suffice it to say, I know there's a bunch of other ones out there, but I don't really care. I don't want to do this one. So yeah. that's what we're going to do. We're not claiming to be doing anything entirely original no, here. No, no, no. And I, I don't care who you are. No one invented friends getting together and talking over movies and having a wonderful time. So like you said earlier, let's we're going to share share the fun with everyone else who wants to listen in. Yeah. For this first episode, we're going to be sharing the fun of Bloody Pit of Horror. <laughs> And I know we're calling this the Jameson tapes, and you're probably wondering why we didn't start with the Poughkeepsie tapes. It's coming. Give us some time to work up to that film. Because yeah. I, I, yep. I, yeah. I, I saw that once, and it it took 
years for me to like be like i should watch it again it's yeah. it's tough i have only seen clips of it i have not seen the whole thing oh no okay yeah it's definitely something everyone who's a horror fan should see once but i will never be like yeah no rewatch that the old days of 4chan people used to post gifts and shit of it on the oh. export all the time right but we're talking about bloody pit of horror you we found are. this how did you find this gem great question I think I had Pluto TV on in the background one day, <laughs> and this movie was just playing while I was working on something else, and all I know is that, like, I looked at it at several points, and every point was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, just decided I really, really needed needed to watch this with someone eventually. It is on YouTube, at least as of the recording of this episode, so go watch it. Absolutely go watch it. Go watch this. Get some friends with you because you're going to go crazy if you don't have people around. You may start eating the drywall. I have the Wikipedia page up in front of me and it is as scant as it probably deserves. Its plot is a paragraph long and I don't want to read it because it'll give away everything. But like everything is just like there's nothing on this film. There is nothing. And that really adds to the question of why and how this was made because it is um, an enigma i can say a few things sure i can say that our lead question mark (laughs) is played by a mickey hargaday and mickey hargaday was a a buff dude who was in a bunch of italian movies because he was married to jane mansfield and jane mansfield wanted her husband to be in movies and Jane Mansfield had a lot of Hollywood clout and real big titties, and she made that happen. So, like, Lucille Ball and Desi, but not, not as successful. Correct. <laughs> yeah, he was actually in one or two of the Italian Hercules movies, and in one of them, alongside his wife, who was basically the star. Mickey Hargaday couldn't even be the main character in a Hercules movie playing Hercules. <laughs> As far as the mystery of this movie getting made, I, I, I will say that Aid uh, Mansfield is the reason he had a Hollywood career or Italian Hollywood career. I mean, all I got on this is a screenplay was made. I don't know what for, because sometimes like sometimes studios just approach, you know, writers and go, uh, we're going to produce this based off of this IP. Get me a screenplay. Sometimes someone has an idea and they submit it to a studio. I don't know. There might be a interview out there. Or a short documentary on YouTube, I have no idea. I just know that a screenplay was made by two people. And it was shot at Balserano Castle. Although the interior shots were all elsewhere. So it it wasn't like... Which is, you know, that's standard. Very very obviously a set, yeah. Yeah. And, oh my god. Like, I I, I don't know how to start this. We should... We... Okay. (laughs) We'll do a basic breakdown of what happens in this movie. I mean, really, you could just read the single paragraph plot because it's going to tell you none of what you need to know. But then we'll get into the specifics if, if I can sure. try and take a crack at getting us started. Sure. We start in the distant past where the Crimson Executioner is being put to death in one of his own execution devices. For being too good uh, at his job. Yeah, apparently for being too good of an executioner. And can we, like, that? I think that was the first thing, was they're taking the Crimson Executioner down, and the guards are in relatively accurate, like, period dress, kind of like 15th century, 16th century. The Crimson yes, Executioner because... is dressed up like a fucking WWE from, like, what, 1980 or something? He is halfway, like, pro wrestler, <laughs> halfway Batman 16th villain. And there's just a... There's just a narration happening of like giving us the plot. You're the Crimson Executioner and you you went insane and killed too many people too well. Now you will be interred here forever. And they put him in a really terrible Iron Maiden prop. With uh, a viewing window. Yeah, the viewing window. Which like does and... away with the point of the Iron Maiden because it's supposed to completely like just trap you in your own painful death. But this one's just like, right. also you can look out. Yeah. And his juices leak out the bottom in stop motion. <laughs> That was that was weird. We were watching it and it was like half frames and we're thinking, did they just could they not get the juice to go out fast enough? What is this? So then it cuts to modern days, and by modern days we mean nineteen sixty five. 
where a group of models and a photographer and their editor and producer are arriving at apparently the fifth or sixth castle they've tried to (laughs) (laughs) which we don't know at the time they just show Um, up they want to they want to do a photo shoot at an old castle so they show up at an old castle that is where they the the crimson executioner has been in laid to rest oh by the way as per the you know the details of his internment that castle was to be abandoned no one's supposed to be there they're abandoning a castle you know that really strategic resource that is basically you know the hub and the protection of an entire region it's just empty whatever you get to be there alone so presumably it's empty yeah they can't have anyone find in the jelly room absolutely not Uh, or the you know what no i'm not gonna say it we'll get there um It's going to be a lot of that. So they break into this castle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they send the young boy, who is probably 45 years old, to to scale the the vine-ridden wall and get into a completely open window, which I just now realize is utterly a continuity error, because later they say all the windows are bored up, but... Not yep. that one. <laughs> Apparently just not that one. Uh-huh. The front-facing one that everyone can see. So uh, he climbs in through the window and then opens the front door, which looks like it's a massive wooden door. Actually, there is a tiny opening within the door, which is that people actually get into then have to duck their heads to get into. Now, that is accurate, believe it or not, as far as medieval oh. architecture, but it does it makes it no less funny <laughs> to watch. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It, it it's it's silly to watch. Yeah. So inside the castle, they are discovered by the guy who lives there, who is played by Mickey Hargaday, and his name is Travis. Travis Anderson. At first, he's like, "I'm gonna send you away." He doesn't want them there in his in his in his castle. And they all say, "Ah, oh, shucks! This is the fourth castle today," which apparently they just break into castles without researching who lives there. It's probably pretty easy to find out who lives in any given castle. Yeah, you know, I could name 12 different resources, but I won't. But you wouldn't know because you're not a journalist. Uh, apparently not. Journalists instinct- instinctively know who know who lives in castles. Then he just kind of changes his mind and is like, hey, you can stay and do whatever. Well, um, don't go down to the dungeon and basically only go into like this one room that I say that you can go into, which isn't really explain because you figured it was like their quarters or something but they uh, actually i think they also say like can we get like a room to just shoot in he goes yes fine whatever and then they dig around and take pictures in the most confusing photo shoot i've ever seen oh my god okay Um, chapter one the photo shoot yes up until this point it's been a very standard italian b-horror movie people who are familiar with the the discography know exactly what we're talking about for those who don't you know it's 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 low budget it's dubbed over it's just you know it's campy but that's most of its charm when the photo shoot starts we have models in hawaiian bathing suits a man a costume a, a pirate costume a halloween like goofy kitty costume a man in a skeleton onesie with bat wings am i missing I- anything we have to stress the. We really have to stress the skeleton onesie guy because he's wearing that onesie for a while, like it's gonna be a big part of the photo shoot. And we're hyped up and at then, this point. We're like, what the fuck is this photo shoot? I have to see what he does. Also, the skeleton onesie has wings. Huh? Then the actual photo shoot starts, and the guy's not dressed like a skeleton anymore. He's just in board shorts. So he was apparently just dressed as a skeleton because. I'm guessing that was like a missing scene or something. Well, no. Considering how much padding there is in this movie, no. They just dressed oh, yeah, him up no. as a fucking skeleton. Sa- save for the, the cut we saw, which had some of the torture thrown back in that mm-hmm. seemed to have been cut out. Hey, spoilers, there's torture. <laughs> in the bloody pit of horror. <laughs> Probably a pretty, pretty bare cutting room floor on this one. Very, very bare. So that's our ensemble of models. No idea some... what the theme is, the running thread here. There is no rhyme or reason to this. Like, one of the pictures is of the woman with, like, a knife through her throat. Yeah. And in one, the girl in the Hawaiian bikini is holding up an axe to chop off the head of the guy in the board shorts. Not on a beach setting or anything, in a dungeon. Yeah, 
in a dungeon. Oh my god, we haven't talked about what? the music. We ha- also, yes, the music is kind of kind of indicative of like 60s Italian films at the time, mm-hmm. but in no way belongs in this horror film. <laughs> there, There is just, even before this starts, there is just this loud, like way too present in the mix, 60s, 70s jazz music. Which, yeah. again, like, as Alan said, that's very, you know, that that's par for the course for a lot of Italian horror in this time. But it's just really fucking loud. It keeps just, like, erupting onto the scene. And when the photo shoot starts in earnest, it changes to... I'm struggling to describe it, but it is, like, slapstick Abbott and Costello comedy music. Oompa music, too, almost kinda. oompa pop music, almost, and we just get this like montage of the photographers like directing the models to do things, and they're like they they have a sword and they can't get it out of its sheath. Ha ha ha! And here's how you hold an axe to look like you're chopping someone's head off. And there's just like no dialogue except for this random part where the photographer is creepily like telling the model to act like a kitty cat and hold her leg up it's very strange i i I, we can't describe it i think my favorite bit of the photographer doing comedy bits was you mentioned him trying to get the sword out of the sheath for like a really long time like a static shot for like two minutes a static shot of him like trying to get a sword out of a sheath for a very very long time and then he stops and it cuts to his perspective of the model just fucking waiting there for him to take a picture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that happens. That happens for a long time. And yeah, we, we, we were we were semi enjoying this up until that point. We were more just confused by everything. Yeah. About what the theme of this Italian costume snuff photo shoot was what, what did we say beach party snuff film pirate shoot or something yeah we have a recording of it maybe we'll cut to like what we call it yeah what what is this why is she dressed like a pirate <laughs> a hawaiian pirate snuff <laughs> shoot <laughs> <laughs> what up it's your boy hawaiian pirate snuff shoot <laughs> but yeah like we, we, it was I don't know what magazine that was for, but I need a copy of it because it is just the most batshit random nonsense thrown together. That's that's what lends to the incredulity is they were looking for castles. They wanted to set this in a castle, but their costumes have nothing to do with castles. Not a thing. I also, where we are at in the movie, I I wanted to come back to a quote I wrote down from the film. (laughs) These old castles always have their family skeletons. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a scene where a guy puts on a robe to scare one of the girls. That scene and... is great. Because she walks into a perfectly lit hallway, which has a row of suits of armor on stands. She walks up to a suit of armor, gets jump scared by the suit of armor. Then her friend comes in behind her in a robe and then scares her again. It's like she has no see- awareness. And we see him walk off camera, but like presumably not out of her view. And then she just walks up to another robe and says, oh, very funny. You're not going to scare scare me again. And she pushes the robe and a skeleton falls out of it. <laughs> With the most, you know, plastic bleach bones of all time. I think at that point is when the Batman henchman comes in. Yes. One of the two Batman henchmen in this film. Just two dudes with khakis <laughs> and striped pirate shirts yeah. kind of and very very tight belts <laughs> belts that are too long for them like they're the, the, the slack is hanging out like a foot and a half long so yes don't know who was on costuming for that scene but again after the reveal of the skeleton the editor of this photo shoot sure <laughs> says these old castles always have their family skeletons and that's how that's explained away <laughs> Oh, there's there's human remains. Well, you know, old castles just yeah hanging up remains. So they do their their bits and skits and goofs and gaffs and and photo shoots. One of the guys goes off with one of the models to have sex with her on a pile of filth, and then 
one of the torture props in the dungeon they were told not to go into. Actually, before we get to that, so they, they yes. go down to the dungeon past the makeshift Iron Maiden that the Crimson Executioner was buried in. And to this movie's credit, this is the only thing I can say to this movie's credit, is that it before in, in the you know the, the preface it was brightly colored and in this in modern day it is like the paint is faded it looks very dusty they actually for some reason this is the only set where they're like yeah this looks like how it should be and we do see that the crimson executioner is bones now he's dead you know so they actually yeah. put work into that and that's all i wanted to add okay so we get to the sudden shift in tone of the film which is they are posing on some of the torture equipment in the dungeon and the blades on the torture equipment are triggered and it kills a guy <laughs> And all these torture devices are made of plywood and plastic. So, yeah. you know, at first glance, your eyes are like, this is all like, none of this is harmful. But in the context of the movie, these are actual legit torture devices from 600 years ago. You know, they're just playing around with them, reckless, ha ha ha. And one of them falls and kills a dude. And that's our first death. Oh, we didn't, we didn't mention our, like, how the owner is revealed the owner of the castle i know we said it's travis anderson but mr anderson and yes i am making that joke is sitting behind a table chock full of candelabras and tall vases yeah there is so much shit on this table (laughs) for a reason to this day inexplicable he is sitting in front of a fireplace opposite an empty chair smashed between a chess table playing with no one yes that is um, that is our yeah. gothic owner of the castle and he he tells them he, he doesn't want them here yeah and then he changes his mind and tells them that through a speaker a one-way pa system that they have rigged up in this ancient ass castle but the speaker is on like man how, how do i even describe it like um a, a trinket shelf <laughs> It's built into like yeah, like because they're uh, they're straight up just standing there talking to the shelf. Yeah. At one point. <laughs> yeah, he tells them they can stay. So and then um, and then murder happens, or uh, well, then, sorry, accident happens. An accident happens. Let me see if I get the order of these following events correct. This is this is where the movie just. It, it devolves into madness, and we have to be careful so, with how we recount these events. Yes, because, like, nothing happens for, like, 20 minutes, uh-huh. <laughs> and then everything happens. <laughs> so it is after the first death, Oh, okay. the, editor goes and, the editor goes and talks to the models and says, and they're, you know, they want to go because there's been a death. And he says, I'll triple your salary. And they're like, okay. That, that Actually, that was great. I'll double your salary. It's not worth my life. I'll triple it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's when the photographer has the film negative that he took when uh, board shorts gets killed. <laughs> Who looks like he's wearing a diaper when he gets killed, by the way. Yes, he's yes, not in his board shorts again. I don't know why. Which poses only more questions about what the fuck this magazine was. This is where like A and B plots are just kind of like super conflicting with each other. So we mentioned that one of the producer, the errand boy, I don't know what the fuck he is. He goes down to the dungeon with the model, one of the models, to sleep with yeah. her on a pile of filth. It is at that point that the crimson dusty, dusty filth. I, I cannot stress enough. Disgusting. That it is the least romantic setting. But it was in soft focus, so it's okay. This at this point, the crimson executioner in full garb emerges and enters into the scene, which I think was our first legitimate "what the fuck is happening" moment. Of oh my god, yeah. here we go. Uh... So you know something's up, and it didn't take long for one of us to say oh i wonder if the crazy dude owning this place is the crimson executioner which spoilers that is what happens but it's okay that that is that is not the half of it at all okay. but we'll get to that so they have this photo negative of the death of the guy they say it looks like there's a shadow of the head in the shot and then they never show us the photo negative nope and it goes to them developing the picture in the photo development room that they set up in this guy's castle, apparently. You know, the, the red room 
wing that every castle has. And then it says, oh, the picture is blurry. We can't make it out. And they still don't show us the picture. So what is the point of even telling us about the picture? It's really just to say they have suspicions. I will tell you what the point. The point is that we get then get Mickey Hargaday showing up in a kimono. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Mickey Hargaday shows up in a purple pink kimono with a very elaborate design on it. There, There is everything happening in this robe. Like, just yeah. so much shit. He looks at the picture and, you know, he's like, oh, yep, that's a picture. And then goes on to tell everyone the story of the Crimson Executioner. Mm-hmm. And he goes on and on about how awesome the Crimson Executioner was. Just a really, really handsome guy, this Crimson, Crimson Executioner. Had an enormous penis. <laughs> everyone was very jealous. And then he abruptly um, leaves. Yeah, yeah, he's just gone in his, in his kimono. Which, before, like, when we first saw him, he was in, like, a day suit. Like, just dressed like every other guy in the film. Don't know why he shows up in the kimono. It it makes sense later, but, like, that's our introduction to him in, like, full frame. And not just hidden behind a table full of garbage. And I'm gonna come back to the specifics of all of this after we get through this. But then... The Crimson Executioner kills the shit out of everybody. Except for the final girl in this film. He was apparently engaged to. And let's really focus on this scene. The the reveal of him being the Crimson Executioner. Because Mickey Hargaday has a reputation for not being a very great actor. He is fucking killing it in this movie. This was the role (laughs) he was meant to play. Because... He reveals that he believes he he is carrying on the legacy and has the spirit of the Crimson Executioner. He is the new (laughs) Crimson Executioner. And he explains this to... Looking at my notes. Edith. He explains this to Edith, who he was once engaged to. Apparently, he was an actor that, like, became really isolated and crazy and obsessed with his own physical perfection. And then he moved into this castle and became convinced that he was the physically perfect Crimson Executioner. (laughs) Then he takes off his shirt and starts oiling himself up. I have to stress this. This movie is on YouTube. Go watch it. I don't have the timestamp, like, on me, but it's pretty far into the movie. But this scene is where the movie went from quirky nonsense to B-movie gold for us. Yes. He shows up in the kimono. And is talking to her, and it's just like exposition. Oh, no, 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 no. He shows up in the black robe at this point. Oh, you're right. Robe. You're right. Sorry, it was the black robe. <laughs> and then disrobes, whilst making this exposition dump in the show. He's wearing what is essentially wrestling tights. <laughs> Absolutely, just screams wrestler, and is just talking and talking, and goes over to a table and picks up a chalice of oil and just starts slathering himself with it. And- Oh, this movie just, just went up a notch. Just posing oil. Is he going to oil himself? Yes. Yes. Yep. 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 Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I I take it back. I don't mind that it wasn't a ghost. This villain is amazing. And talking about how he had to escape the corruption of people and how he has the superior body and that he is pure and everyone else isn't. And this is where the movie takes off. It took forever to get to this point, but for like all the faults of this movie, this villain is fully realized. He went insane. He is a egotistic narcissist to the nth degree and kills because he believes everyone else to be inferior. Mickey Hargaday's acting sells it so well. He does get to the point, like, later on in the movie, where he is straight up, like, Batman villain actor. Yeah, yeah. Like, straight up Frank Gorshin as the Riddler, delighting in everything that's happening to a absurd degree. <laughs> and it's incredible to watch. He is fucking dynamite in this film. I think if I had never seen Batman 66, if I hadn't seen that, like, I would have, I would not have enjoyed this as much. But just seeing the parallels in presentation and production was just, it just, it made me laugh so much. It is after that reveal that this movie turns into 
cheap 60s Italian saw. And do we want to talk about it? Do we want to talk about it now? We have to talk about the spider room. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I was a little disappointed because, like, the the, the transitional scene between that was they opened the Iron Maiden that the people were fucking next to earlier in the film. Yeah. And the girl is dead, and she's in there. And they didn't show us that. And it's like, uh, whatever. So between the discovery of Susie and the photo, and so many other things, for a movie called Bloody Pit of Horror, it sure hates showing us stuff. Yeah. There's no pit. There's been minimal blood. (laughs) And the horror is just not present. What we like to call false advertising. It has one of the greatest lines in the movie, which is they see that, they open it, there's the orchestral sting, it zooms in, it cuts back to them, and our protect says, there is no way someone can think this was an accident. (laughs) (laughs) Which then goes to, oh, by the way, the, the thing that killed the first dude, it was cut. The rope was cut. It didn't fall apart, which... Yeah. No shit. We all saw yeah. that. So the spider room. Oh my god, chapter eight, the spider room. The spider room is maybe my favorite scene in any film I've ever watched. This is kind of the wonderful thing of exploring cinema is you just happen upon insane scenes that just delight you on a primal level. And it's great that like if anyone said, What's your number one? I'll be like, it depends on what month it is, dude. Like, I'm gonna find something new. This is and I, I were recording this in so, January. This is the scene of this fucking year for me. Yeah. Okay. So to put everyone in the right mindset, we've had like a few really disappointing kills. Very, like plastic knives resting on someone's torso. Oh my God. They got skewered to death. After we get the reveal of the Crimson Executioner, he leaves and just... He leaves through the wall and just leaves Edith there. <laughs> Edith, who is crying, so she doesn't see how he leaves. This is important for later. Yeah, and then he leaves through the secret wall. Down a spiral staircase. Then our, our good guy protag, Rick, who was a journalist, but now he writes horror stories and is at this photo shoot for his horror stories. I, I, as best as we can piece together, he finds Edith. I can't stall talking about the spider room anymore. He finds Edith. <laughs> They go to the next room, and it's a big empty room (laughs) with a bunch of strings all over the floor. That are meant to simulate spider web. And at the end of it, the girl in the Hawaiian bikini is tied to a comically oversized spider web. We're talking like two inch thick string. She then in detail explains what it is that's happening to her, (laughs) which is that all of the webs on the floor on the way to her are connected to bow traps essentially like 50 bow traps on the wall that all have poison tipped arrows but also <laughs> there is a robot spider <laughs> a mechanical spider and like upon the reveal of this room it's just her strung up and there's this puppet spider hanging from like they're not even hiding the strings. It's just there, like a foot from her face. It is the best. <laughs> it is the best. It is the best thing I've seen. And again, I don't know if we want to cut to it because I think this 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 really was the breaking point for us. I take back everything. <laughs> this is the fucking best. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. How are we gonna explain this? I can't explain like, this. People just gotta see we it. We dedicate 20 minutes of the episode to talking about this. <laughs> so, if he touches any of the webs, it shoots The ar- poison arrows will shoot, or just regular arrows. But it's also a giant mechanical spider that she just said is mechanical. That's not supposed to be an actual spider. And it has poison in its claws. Now we're just watching this dude <laughs> Very, very slowly crawl under some strings. That was that was the best reveal I've ever seen in my life. Don't come any closer. <laughs> I, am, I am glad we recorded. And I didn't think I could laugh any harder. But then it cuts to an angle where you can see the front of the spider. of the spider so bad if if you walk away from this and don't watch the movie at all 
Watch this scene. Just watch this scene. If <laughs> we can timestamp it, we will in the description. Just watch this scene. It is what feels like an eternity because Rick gets on the floor and starts squirming his way under the strings to get very to in time very slowly and they show it all in real time they have to cut back from him to edith who's just panicking to i think it's Susie who's just saying it's too late just leave you'll never get me and they just cut back and forth back and forth and then like the button of his jacket gets caught on one of the strings and almost sets it off but then it doesn't and then when I think this can't get any better, we do, before this scene resolves, <laughs> cut to a guy who had been sent out earlier to get the police. Oh, right! <laughs> <laughs> Is sitting in their nice Italian car. Italian roadster, yeah. With the top down. That is going around and around and around in circles. Because he has an arrow through his neck. <laughs> and we don't we don't notice this at first because it's very zoomed out. And he's it's just tracking him in a circle. And we're like, what is happening? And it looks like he's laying on the wheels. So we say to ourselves, is he asleep? And now it says, wait, is that an arrow? It zooms in enough. Sure enough, there's an arrow in his neck. And he is leaning on the wheel and the gas enough to just keep that car going in a circle. This persists for like a minute because we have yeah. to get to feature length, people. Are you asleep at the wheel? Is he dead at the wheel? Does he have an arrow through him? He does! Oh <laughs> <laughs> and he's driving in circles! <laughs> We're just gonna stay on this. Oh my god. Is this a comedy? It's hilarious. And yeah. we, we are, we're like, we're spent. We're spent at this point as far this, as laughing. We couldn't this, handle. This was dead in the middle of the spider scene. We're not done with the spider, the spider scene. We're not done with the spider scene. We took a break from the spider scene to see dead, dr dead guy driving in a circle. And now we're back at the spider scene and the guy takes too long and the spider gets to her. <laughs> oh, well, he was also humping the air on his way over. Yeah. He, he starts doing the worm, basically. To, <laughs> but like, to get to but facing up as opposed to down. So it just looks yeah. like he's humping the air. And and when he finally makes it to her, the spider bites her and she's dead. The spider whose claws, as she said, but probably should have said mandibles, are poisonous also. Are, are poisoned. So she's dead. And grabs the mechanical spider and throws it at the strings. <laughs> grabs it and just kind of goes, and throws it away. And then it gets hit with the arrows. There, there were two onomatopoeias that we were doing through this movie. One was just people looking at things and just going, and the other was we constantly go back to this kind of like central, I don't know, like reclining area, like living room or whatever, where people kind of just like the models were getting ready there. People were just sitting there. And there's this fireplace with this very like kind of like medieval Grecian statuary like built into the top of the fireplace with just this dude with this just like giant open mouth. And whenever we saw it, we said it go, Argh! it just dominates the scene. So there was a lot and, of that in this movie as well for us. And we also get the reveal later that like the eyes come out and people can talk. Through. Which is like, yeah, very classic gothic mansion shit and like you think that's the apex but no we're just getting started with the murder then cut back to our homeboy the crimson <laughs> executioner after rick crawls around on the floor for 45 minutes and fails to save someone <laughs> if you ever want to see uh, an exercise in futility look up this scene he gets knocked the fuck out by one of the henchmen oh yeah just runs up behind him and just junk just fucking gives him a him. fucking Gives him a fucking Polish hammer to the back of the head, and he <sighs> is done. There is so uh, much goddamn wrestling coding in this movie. Yeah, it's just so it, much. It really is. I think. It I really think is. at that point, I just said to you when we were watching this, Alan, how much money do we have to raise to get somebody in AEW to be the Crimson Executioner? They gotta be jacked and oily, and they've gotta have some acting, some promo chops. They gotta, they gotta be like just. I mean, the character is actually relatively straightforward. You think you are the best. You are misanthropic to level eleven. It's so goofy and so campy that I just imagine the first, the like the debut 
the promo music comes on, which has to be the god awful misplaced seventies jazz yeah. music. Yes. And it's just playing and the cameras are all on the entrance area and then nothing happens. And then, you know, the opponent's already out and they're like going, Where is he? Where is he? And then like in the front row in a like comically like Halloween monk's robe, dude stands up, takes it off, and there's the Crimson Executioner. Yes. <laughs> and she just doesn't give a shit and then walks on stage. Like it has to be that. It has to be so intentionally low budget as to just be utterly distinct from everything else going on. Like, I would pay so much fucking money to see that. Because, like, this character is a shitpost. Yeah. We've got this new Batman movie coming out where they made the Riddler basically the Zodiac killer. <sighs> and, like, fuck it. Give us this guy. I And you know what? You know, I, I am excited to see the Robert Pattinson Batman movie. I really am. Me too. I, but, I, I, I genuinely am too. But, like, with every passing superhero movie part of me like so much of me just wants like no just go back to this please just just yeah. just embrace the silliness please you guys do not have to be all serious all the time you really this is what people don't even know that they want yes anyway so then we get torture scenes oh no uh, if you want I, I just said if you want to see the definition of an exercise of futility watch the spider scene if you want to see an exercise on blowing your load too early Watch the last third of this movie. Yeah, yeah. The spider scene was so good. Okay, let me go down a list of our tortures. Oh, boy. There's the titty slicer. <laughs> Which, I'm sorry, that wasn't torture. That was just, like, BDSM floor play. Yeah. The titty slicer's confusing. Very. Because it's a rotating pillar that two women are tied to. And that spins around a frame that has a bunch of knives stuck through it. So the knives are stuck through this like two by four or like just this plywood board. And he keeps banging on a bunch of the knives to send them further through the board. Right. But it only seems to slice them on the titties. Despite the fact that they are different elevations. Yeah. I do love just the repeated scene of him just like with that crazed maniacal smile, just hitting knives. Yeah. yeah, he's just banging on knives and enjoying every fucking second of it. And it just cuts between him and the girl's chests just getting slightly marked by red corn syrup coated and, on a knife and just saying, and, ah. So then he stops that and goes over to the editor dude who's like chained, chain, has a chain around his neck. He, he's like, yes, yeah, like just kind of held up and like immobile in some very strange contraption. He takes out these giant tongs and a statue of a head and says, ha, I'm going to do this to you. And he uses the tongs to crush the head. And then he never does that. Okay, it cuts to Rick waking up in the torture bed God. next to the dead guy. So yeah. yes, he wakes <laughs> up next to a dead body and there is a, a press coming down with knives sticking out of it that's going to you know crush and skewer him to death. The same really shitty looking plastic knives that have been throughout the rest of the film. Why he needs to be tied to a dead body makes no sense. Maybe that's just like adding insult to injury. I don't know. Because they could have just tied him to the bed anyway. And if you thought the crawling under string scene was slow. Oh, good lord. You then get to see him reach over to the dead body. First, he just kind of lays there and tries to figure out what to do as <laughs> knives are coming for at him for a while. Right. <laughs> and then he notices the dead body has nail clippers in the pocket. So he's able to, with his hands tied up, get to the nail clippers and then very, very slowly use the nail clippers to clip away at the binds on his hands. And then after doing that for a really long time, roll out of the bed like a loaf of bread. <laughs> And there's a way to shoot these scenes that everyone's probably seen in like Mission Impossible or what have you, where, you know, yeah. they're clip you know, he gets one hand undone. Great. It's falling faster. Yeah. He's getting yeah. another yeah. hand undone. Great. Falling faster. Oh, he's on the last leg. Oh, it's almost there. No, this is just him snipping at the same cord and then suddenly he's out. Some appropriate music and cuts can build some tension here, but nope. no, we got to get to feature length people just very, very, very slowly. No tension because no expectation. None, none, none tension. And then we cut back to my boy, <laughs> the Crimson Executioner, as he's doing new tortures. He's got the blonde tied up and is dripping cold water on her back. Which he That's says <laughs> is the ice cold water torture. And if you're thinking water torture, like 
laying someone down face up and covering them with a cloth and just dripping water onto them so they kind of like half suffocate. It's not that. It's it her. It is absolutely not that. It is her on all fours with cold water being dispensed in a trickle on her back. That is it. Yep. That is not a torture. I'm pretty sure that's some new spa treatment in Los Angeles. There's well, there's another girl in a rack taking forever to get racked, I guess. That's it. That's the whole thing. And then we cut to another admittedly okay scene where uh, the editor is in like a, a, an iron cage above a pit of coals and he lights it on fire and burns him to death. We don't really see anything, but whatever, it happens. It is, it is at the very least the most, probably the most effectively shot. Yeah, it's the most death. cinematic torture that they have. So he cooks the guy. In the fight scene. Oh, no. This fight scenes, plural. Rick then has to fight one of the henchmen, and he fights him for a really, really, really long time. Everything Rick does just takes a really long time. The theme of the character Rick is padding out the film. Again, like, if you've seen Batman 66 fights, they are a little over-elaborate, but... They are punctuated with, you know, pow, bam, other illustrated onomatopoeias. Exciting music. They are fun. They are, you know, they're they're definitely part of a formula, but, you know, you appreciate them for what they are. This just starts in a hallway. Terrible fake punch is thrown. Goes to a different hallway above a staircase. Reverts back into the previous hallway. And then someone Uh picks up. Uh, a random morning star which has just been left around that they should have just had from the beginning but whatever and breaks a fucking armoire and then proceeds to drop it then they go to another pre-established living room where he finally bests his opponent after like seven minutes of needless fight yeah. scene so this was the point where i jokingly said oh. oh now he's gonna have to fight the other henchman then it happens all right, now bring out the other henchman. So oh, please, no. Yes, no. no. Please, I was no. joking. <laughs> you were right. You were right. God damn it. And like we cut back to some other torture we already described, and we and then we cut back to Rick. I think they had he has Edith now at this point. Yeah, he does. Edith is being laid out on a stone, and she's naked. And I'm sure it does something for someone. As you said, this movie does something for somebody and I never want to meet them. And I I said, it's probably the director. This is also where we're introduced to my final favorite torture implement. Uh The spiky scarecrow. (laughs) It is a simulacrum of a scarecrow-like hay-stuffed bag suit thing with those same plastic spikes sticking out the front. But also they're poisoned with a with a blonde a wig. Blonde wig. Yeah, and it's referred to as the lover of death by um, the Crimson Executioner. Before he starts torturing Edith, Rick is running from the other henchman who's trying to shoot him with a crossbow. Yep. And then it looks like he hits him, and he and Rick falls off the side of the castle and dies. Which is like, if you've ever watched fucking Marble Hornets, the if you like really look close to the thing they use for the operator is kind of like a lanky puppet. That's exactly yeah. what it looks like as it falls off of the edge of, the, the, sorry, the one of the turrets of the walls. So you know it wasn't Rick. Yeah, it was definitely not Rick. Rick is not so, dead, and we don't think that Rick is dead. But he might be for a reason that this movie uses its special effects not being very good. Okay, when I was watching that scene, I thought it was very possible that was actually Rick dying, and that... They threw a dummy off of a wall to represent Rick dying. The dummy's arms were so comically long and curved, I said, no way. But you're probably right, considering this movie. How is that any less him dying than that lady previously getting hit by the poison spider mandibles? Well, but at the same time, it's not like henchman two with a crossbow found Rick on the wall of the castle, and there was like Rick, like desperately trying to avoid it and then like somehow getting shot and us being surprised his body was just hanging halfway off the wall and then the dude just shoots him and then the body falls off so again you're probably correct but he was so poorly set up to fool any modern audience member none of it looked real 
or even simulated. It just looked like someone shot a prop and the prop fell off a wall. One of the other girls dies. I don't remember how she dies. Oh, he hits, some, hits her with a chain. Yes, okay. Could, couldn't get her to like embrace the spiky scarecrow, so she, he just hits her with a chain and she dies. I think this is when Rick makes his not 30 seconds later reveal that he's not dead. The crossbow henchman shows up and says, hey, I killed Rick. I, I want to stress here that throughout all of this, the Crimson Executioner has been monologuing about how <laughs> rad it is what he's doing. <laughs> Non-stop. <laughs> just, you're gonna pay. You are evil. Like, this is my vengeance, and I am the Crimson Executioner, and ah, yeah. yeah. Just. Yeah, all of this. Just owning the maniacal monologuing, and it's fucking fantastic. Then he pours hot oil on the blonde, and then he's ready to torture Edith. Rick shows up. Crimson Executioner throws a chain. It kills the one girl <laughs> instead of Rick. And it doesn't look like there's, like, spikes or anything on the chain. Nope. It looks like he just slings a chain that's suspended from the ceiling at this woman, and yep. she just dies. That's it. He, here's here's a disappointing lost opportunity. So Rick is back, but we don't know it's Rick. It's just the body of the Crimson Executioner that Travis has kept intact and in his personal quarters to probably have sex with. You see for a moment, Travis, like, no, it can't be. You're not the real one. I'm the real one. Like, he is so far into his psychosis that he believes that the real Crimson Executioner is back. His henchman with the crossbow shoots it, and then it falls away, and of course, it's Rick holding a dead body. Oh, no. Yeah, he reveals his ruse immediately. (laughs) Immediately. And this is a, like... You could have done so much with just, like, Rick using smarts to outwit Braun here, or, like, whatever you want to do. Nah. Never mind. Fuck it. Nope. We're done. The guy with the crossbow tries to shoot him, but the blonde who has the boiling oil on her her back just, like, steps in front of the arrow nonchalantly and dies. Like, completely unjustified sacrifice. Just so our, our breeding couple can get away essentially yeah that's it rick then kills the crossbow henchman because he's trying to reload a crossbow uh-huh. so he chokes him out with a chain and then we finally get the showdown between bad guy and good guy good versus evil rick versus travis the crimson executioner and he tricks travis into hugging the spiky scarecrow which is also prompts a death monologue which at this point he's just waxing poetica nonsentia yeah which about is, how his body is perfect and uh, which is fine because he's insane and everything yeah, he says is just great. i don't question a fucking thing he says after that first reveal rick then helps edith get dressed and carries her away and the whole time he's carrying her, she's telling him the plot of the film. <laughs> Recapping, he went insane. He thought he was the Crimson Executioner. He used to be in Hollywood. And we're like, we we know. You literally already told us that movie. You actually, you showed us. You showed us yeah. that. And now you're just retelling because we have to get the feature length, people. And then... The movie ends <laughs> with an exterior shot of the castle. And I know this is, you know, like the end in Italian or whatever, <laughs> but it just says fine. <laughs> F-I-N-E. We, we, we both read it as fine, but then no, fine. Fine. No ending <laughs> credits, but which might just be this like this rip on YouTube. Who knows? But that was it. It just ended. Fine. Whatever. Done. And we were left for a break before we started recording this to just decompress, process, throw up a little bit in my mouth. (laughs) What the fuck I just saw. Yeah. So that's the plot of Bloody Pit of Horror. And I have to stress to everybody, this movie is free on YouTube as of this recording. Like, as of this recording, you can watch this movie for free on YouTube. And, you know, I think I saw it on Prime as well, actually. Words cannot accurately dictate and convey what watching these scenes is like. It is just so insane. We did our best to describe the spider scene. I no go no. watch it. Yeah. Go watch it. <laughs> really. There's like watch like the scene before it and like and then go into that. Cause the whiplash you will experience in tone and presentation and setting is so severe that it just kind of breaks you for a bit what'd you think of the movie (laughs) (laughs) 
It's a wild ride. It's a gothic horror that's just riddled with incompetence. But as with a lot of B-movies, this incompetence breeds kind of like unintended genius. And I think that really shines through Mickey Hargaday, who just yes. like, say, hey, you're going to play a guy who's obsessed with his body and is kind of insane and just owns that. He owns it perfectly. And unfortunately... How great it was him monologuing the first time. Oh my God. While yeah. rubbing oil all over himself. Looking at himself in the mirror doing it. It was just like, it was perfect. That scene was perfect as far as like what they wanted to execute. He was looking in the mirror and I was like, oh, is he going to pose? Because that would be perfect. <laughs> and then I was disappointed because he picked up the bowl and I was like, oh, he's not going to pose. And then he started taking oil out of the bowl and oiling himself up. I was like, never mind. Yes. We're good. Yes. <laughs> and it is unfortunate that it takes so long to get to that. And it's like, again, this is a feature length film. This yeah. is like, this is, and you know, think, standard bullshit. I think I said this earlier. There is nothing happening in this film until everything starts happening. <laughs> it just, it's, it switches so hardcore and then it struggles at the end to like get to feature length. So there is a sweet spot of this movie. Again, it's very unfortunate that it takes just so long to get to the meat of it. Again, which is just, that is that is the nature of these films. As far as like, should you watch this? Absolutely. 100%. Get some friends together. Get some alcohol or your substance of choice. It's just like, just do it, dude. Make a night yeah. of this shit. I hope people like watched it before they listened to us because, you know, it's the nature of these podcasts. We're going to spoil things and we're going to paint your perceptions. But this is one of those movies that I would love to like show people, you mm -hmm. know, like, oh, you haven't seen Bloody Pit of Horror? <laughs> well, sit down, <laughs> grab some popcorn. Also, every, everyone listening, we do not know if the Guar album of the same name is named after this film. Considering Guar, I'm going to like err on the side of yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a Guar album called Bloody Pit of Horror. Like, I, I know Cannibal Corpse named one of, not one of their songs, one of their albums after a reference in Necromantic. Like, all of those metalheads were watching these movies way before we were. And we're taking cues, so yeah. it would not surprise me in the least if this was a direct reference. I'm looking at the critical reception on Wikipedia, and there's this line. I just want to point this out. In his book, Italian horror film directors Luis Paul described the film as a laughable yet disturbing and sadistic entry in the horror genre and an exercise in homophobia and the debasement of women masked as entertainment. That latter part is correct. I, I don't know the homophobia angle. I, I, I think it's more just like egoism and narcissism, yeah. which I think is like, number one, it's kind of insulting to homosexuality because he's insane that he is self-absorbed and a man, okay? But he also was engaged and had no problem with that. And, and I think it's more just like, if I had to lend some artistic, I don't know, credence to this it is like oh hollywood actors are crazy like they get so self-absorbed they run away to italy to some foreign country and just take their like their historical monument and you know go insane which i think is a much more believable angle than oh it's homophobic yeah but again who knows <laughs> with this fucking movie i'm sorry i'm reading i'm reading about the release of the film right the u.s promotion of bloody pit of horror it claims that it was based on the writings of the Marquis de Sade. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, this was. Lip service, at best. This film at a surface level, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's... Yeah, okay, actually, I remember saying this. It, you know, it sets up, oh, look at these attractive young models, and they're going into a dangerous place, and they're going to be, you know, there's the exploitation angle. But this movie teases a lot of sex and violence, and strangely, does not deliver much on either. Yeah. And we watched uh, the uncensored really. version. Yeah, the uncensored version adds a few, like, closer-up shots of the torture, but it's still not well-executed special effects of people being tortured, so... Even at this era, there was, like, much more egregious stuff out there. 
So yeah. it's not that bad. It, it's not that egregious. I think it's yeah. just a very, very ill-conceived idea that had a perfectly... Ca- <sighs> I'm gonna do it. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make a comparison to Silent Night, Bloody Night Two. There's <laughs> there, there's just there's one character in it that just like you, you watch it and you're bored, and then suddenly the movie just lights up, and you're like, oh my god, I am on board for this shit, and it just takes an uh, insane turn. Argonay stated he had little per- experience in acting, noting that he wasn't any more an accomplished actor than the taxi driver, but still felt he provided a good performance in the film. Hell yeah, yes, you did. did sir. Hell yeah. No, you played that perfectly. You did everything that the role asked for. Borrow from the modern parlance. This this man understood the assignment. Yeah. So, two questions, Alan. First question, what are you drinking right now? I I have finished the cider, so I'm just drinking a Guinness. Nice. I bought a six-pack of Orange Avenue Wit, which is a kind of a citrus wheat beer made here in San Diego. I am almost done with it. Been great. Been very easygoing. However, what drink do we think encapsulates this movie? If we could make our own cocktail to encapsulate this film. Part of me, and I was I was thinking on this after we had finished watching the movie and we we're taking our first break, was just, you know what? It's just a pint of grenadine. <laughs> and you just give that to somebody and see what happens. <laughs> here's, my, here's my pitch to you. With cheap-ass ingredients, what would we put in like well level ingredients italian bloody mary ooh okay it it's it's going to be gross but it has to be like one of the normal ingredients of a bloody mary actually has to be substituted with italian soda just to cheapen the whole fucking thing so it's like paint thinner vodka it's strawberry italian soda it's you still got the worcestershire in there cuz that's not like hard to come by but like no clamato juice, no tomato juice, just 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 fucking that. You throw in, I don't know, your cayenne or whatever spice you want. Yeah. And you just give that to somebody and you're like, and then they say, I ordered a Bloody Mary. And you say, see, <laughs> Bloody Mary. And that's what you got. Gosh, there's so much to incorporate here throughout the rest of the movie. But I do like that. Let's let's do a whole other cocktail. Okay. That's the Bloody Pit of Horror cocktail. What is going to be our cocktail for the mechanical spider? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Ooh, okay. Well, the poison um, has to be in there. So I'm so, thinking absinthe. Okay. Just because I'm on this kick lately. Sure. Let's make let's make this a Boilermaker. Okay. I, actually, I was going to go with Boilermaker, so I'm glad you said that. We're, we're, we're dropping a shot of poison into something else. Yes, let's say our poison is absinthe. <laughs> yeah, I can think of no other fitting poison right now. My brain keeps going to Prosecco. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> As ContraPoints called it, Italian dishwater. Yeah, okay, okay, we're putting that in. Yes. So we're dropping... Okay. We're dropping, we're dropping a... a shot of absinthe into Prosecco. Holy fuck. If I actually did this, I'd probably throw up, like immediately on the spot i would absolutely try this and then probably never have it again (laughs) and just like do it over a sink just in case yeah oh god what can you even mix with champagne as a base good question what makes this a spider oh okay what about like black currant that's interesting yeah or like slow gin well that'd be another shot you can't just fill up a glass with slow gin yeah no that would kill you yeah (laughs) That is, that is a class of murder. <laughs> um, that was something I would do in college. It's really fucking obvious and basic, but like, what if we just made it like a mimosa you're dropping the absinthe into? Or, because like sometimes mimosas are orange juice, other times they're like uh, cranberry juice. Yeah. Yeah, we okay. can do that. That's darker. Prosecco, Prosecco cranberry juice, with a drop shot of absinthe. Fuck. I would and actually that is, try that. Yeah, me too. Maybe, maybe there'll be a video. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, there you go, people. Uh, Not one, but two drinks. You're welcome. Two drinks, the bloody pit of horror, and the mechanical poison spider. Do neither of these, by the way, if you value your liver. Don't drink either of these. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Or at least wait wait for us to report back to you. Yeah, on the results. Um, Maybe next episode we'll tell you what happens. Again, I solidly, solidly recommend you get some friends to you get a group of vaccinated friends together and you mm-hmm. get some drinks and watch this fucking movie. Or, you know, do it over Discord. 
if you can't yeah. meet in person. This is through and through like everything you want out of a B movie experience. A lot of B movies you watch don't really make the cut. You know, they're not that interesting. They're yeah. kind of just boring. This is holds your attention and it will baffle everybody in the room. And that is a wonderful experience. That's why people watch B movies. Resounding recommendation from both of us. Yep. Anything else you want to cover? My brain is so fried from watching this fucking movie. Yeah, same. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, no, I've got my last beer here. So a toast a to toast. my partner and a toast to all of you. Thanks for joining us for the first episode of the Jameson Tapes. Cheers, Slancha, Skull, Prost, all that good stuff. May all of your robes be full of skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> and remember to always hug the spiky scarecrow. It needs the love. Absolutely. <laughs> also something, something the spider. <laughs> <laughs> The Jameson Tapes is hosted and created by Alan Chaney and Abysme. If you have a movie suggestion for the podcast, please leave a comment, message us on the Creative Horror Discord, or tweet at Creative Horror with the hashtag Jameson Tapes. Creative Horror is a network of creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. Please visit us at creativehorror.com.